This morning, uh, we'll just have a quiet sit. You've heard quite a bit of instructions by now. Uh, So time to apply them in the great awakening. Uh, And then afterwards, this morning, there'll be a bit of an extended uh, Q&A. So there'll be time. Just any practice questions you might still have, we'll have a chance to discuss them.
before opening to questions, I'd like to give a short little teaching on the nature of time. So now that we're in the glide path towards the ending of the retreat, it's not uncommon for a lot of planning thoughts to be arising in the mind. You know, and just thinking about maybe what you're going to do after the retreat, or who you're going to meet, or what you're going to say. So it's a very good opportunity to investigate just how it is that we create the notion of past and future, and then how we live much of our lives in the story of that construct. So how do we actually experience the past? You know, we're sitting or walking, and we have certain kinds of thoughts, like planning or anticipating or imagining. We see those thoughts, and unconsciously, through our education and conditioning, we create a concept called past to describe those kinds of thoughts. We have certain memories, And out of those memories, we create the concept. And then, this is what's really interesting, through some, you know, quite bizarre mental gymnastics, we've created this concept in our mind's past, and then somehow throw it back behind us, as if the past is actually back there, you know, as some kind of reality. But how actually are we experiencing it? We're experiencing it as a thought in the moment. That's really what's happening. There's a certain kind of thought. But we get lost in the concept that we've created to describe that class of thoughts. And the same thing with future. You know, we're just sitting, minding our own business, and these thoughts of planning, anticipation, arise in the mind. Planning. Oh yeah, this create the concept future, and then again, kind of th- throw it out ahead of us as if the future is really out there waiting for us to catch up. But the only way we are actually experiencing it is as a thought in the moment. Now, why is this important? For me, it was tremendously liberating to see this very clearly, because. For the most part, in our lives, we are living burdened by these concepts of past and future. It's like we're carrying these mountains on our shoulders. And it would be very interesting for you to observe just how much of the time the mind is lost in the idea of past and the idea of future with regret or nostalgia or anticipation or all kinds of emotions and feelings and mind states arise because we're carrying these concepts and imbue them with a certain reality. The difference between that, going through life carrying this burden of past and future, the difference between that and seeing that these are just thoughts in the moment. Thoughts in the moment, as I hope you've seen by now, are incredibly light. There's not much to them. 
And yet, we live our lives burdened by these concepts of time. Now, this is not a discussion of some scientific, metaphysical nature of time. That's something else entirely. This is about how we experience it for ourselves. And the experience of it is only as a thought in the moment. So I would just suggest kind of an investigation of this. You know, and as I say, toward this part of the retreat, particularly future thoughts, they're going to be coming. It's really a chance for you to see very directly and very clearly that this whole future story, which you may have created and then inhabit, is nothing more than a thought in the moment. And this does not imply that we don't take appropriate action or decision with regard to these thoughts. And sometimes we plan, and it's actually about doing something and accomplishing something. So we can still respond to these thoughts, but it's a very different response if we're seeing, yes, this is a thought in the moment. Do I need to act on this or not? Most of the time, we're just lost in reverie and no action is required. And to see it just as a thought really frees us from the grip of these concepts. But even when it's appropriate to plan, we can do that if we're seeing that we're responding to a thought in the moment, that it's actually happening right now, rather than being lost in some imagined future scenario. Very different mind state and very different quality of freedom, you know, as we negotiate uh, these thoughts and ideas. So again, for me, it was just, when I saw this, it was totally transforming understanding basically the past and the future are in the present. They're not out there in terms of how we're experiencing it. Um, so that's the little wrap for this morning. Um, if you have any questions, I'd, I'd like to start actually with people who have not had an interview with me, either group or individually. So if any of you who have not had an interview, uh, have any questions, we can start there. <coughs> um, I found the uh, oh, oh. image that... Um, oh. <coughs> I found the image that uh, Devin used in his talk, um, you know, the, the stringed instrument, and not too tight, not too loose. And... Um, I definitely err on the side of too tight in my practice, you know, stay with the breath, stay with the breath. And in my uh, interviews, I've been advised to let go. (laughs) So that's been extremely helpful, even though I knew that, you know, hearing it from people with like cred really helped. Um, But um, I think what would be even more helpful would be to know what to look out for in terms of too loose. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Okay, too loose. There are, um, there's a description of the mind state of Toulouse and then the manifestation of Toulouse. So the mind state of Toulouse is, it's a meditative state which I call more or less mindful. 
you know. We're going along and we're kind of there, but not really there, you know. And so there's a lot of uh, background or even foreground mental activity, even as we are somewhat connected to what's happening. Um, And so the manifestation of it is when you find that you're just drifting off quite a lot into reverie, into thought. You don't know where you're not being mindful of the thinking and you're not really fully mindful of whatever the activity is, whether in sitting, whether it's the body or the breath, or in walking. Uh, So I would really watch out for this more or less mindfulness. Uh, It's really apparent and obvious in the walking, you know, because, and you just see it, you know, sometimes we're walking and we're kind of there, but meanwhile, there's a whole story going on, you know, in our minds. Uh, so one way of bringing the attention back in a fully mindful way, as opposed to more or less mindful, uh, for example, in the walking, to see the difference between being mindful kind of of the movement, which is being mindful, you're there, but it's more on the surface experience of it. You, know, you take a step and you're aware of the movement. The difference between that and taking the step and feeling the sensations involved in the movement, you know, the pressure, the heaviness, the lightness. When we were reporting to Saito Upandita, you know, it was a very rigorous reporting form, and we would have to go in and say, for example, in the walking, There was the lifting, I noted the lifting, this is what I experienced in the lifting. You know, lightness, pressure, vibration. And the moving forward, noted it, this is what I felt. It was surprisingly demanding, you know, to actually be that connected to the feeling of what we were experiencing and to be able to actually name it. it required being really present, really attentive. Otherwise, you know, we would know we were moving, but would not know really the sensations in the movement. So that's a way when you feel like you're in this more or less mindful state, the too loose state, you know, coming back, dropping back in to the sensation level uh, is very gathering of the attention. And at first, um, and you might, you know, while we're still in this container of the silence of the retreat, you might devote some time in the walking just to investigate this level. And in the beginning of the investigation, going slowly is, re- is really helpful because, okay, what is this, you know, what am I actually feeling here? What am I actually feeling? But once you practice that a bit and you become familiar with the sensations that are being felt, then the mind can quite easily drop into that place at any speed, on retreat, off retreat. It's like we've just trained ourselves to be embodied in that full away. And so then that becomes a tremendous aid to integrating mindfulness into our lives. Because then every time we take a step or walking, and you're walking down the street or in your home, the mind just, because of the training, because of the practice, automatically drops into that embodiment.
Um, my voice feels shaky. I'm not used to speaking. <laughs> um, so my question sort of relates to that, which is, um, <clears throat> it sort of has two parts, but I guess the first is around effort. Like, it's not, from my experience so far, it's not like I choose where my awareness lands. So when you talk about, or when any of us talks about coming back to the breath, I'm not sure who the person is who is coming back to the breath. It's just like the awareness is sometimes I'm, it's on the breath and sometimes it's, I like realize suddenly that I'm thinking or something, but I don't know where the volition is there, who's making that decision. It just sort of happens. So I don't know what the instruction is. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're, if there is... No, I get the question. Yeah. Who, and then, who, who's doing anything? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, but that's, so I don't, it's almost like what are, I'm either going to be on the breath or I'm not, but I don't know where the me is that's supposed to be doing anything. Right. So, one, you just forget the notion that there's a me there in the first place to do anything and see that, um, which could be a whole, you know, five-hour Dharma talk. <laughs> but rather see that it's a process of different qualities of mind so, for example, out of just being mindful of what's arising in the moment, so there's no you choosing, mindfulness is arising because it's been cultivated, and then out of the mindfulness of what's happening in the moment, there may be the wisdom factor of mind, uh, which sees clearly, oh, present, not so present. Right? The wisdom factor of mind could then uh, condition the volition when you see, when wisdom is seeing that the mind is wandering, so then the wisdom can be the conditioning factor for intention. Oh, be good to come back to the breath. So there's no I necessarily in any of that. It, it's just the different factors of mind fulfilling their own function. Um, yeah, and I mean, if I could just ask one yeah. other thing sort of related to that. Um, it's, I still get plagued after practicing for some years now by really gripping, intense um, mind states, largely around fear and obsession. Um, and uh, like, I, so when, I was, when I'm doing the practice, I can get to this place now where I can see aversion is present, largely. I'm scared of mm. these, this feeling. But I don't, it's like I've forgotten what to do from there. So right. like when we see aversion or clinging, like what's the instruction, then what? You know, it's like I forget what to do. <laughs> so I see it, but now what? Yeah. So, so two, two things come to mind. One is the instruction is always very simple. Be mindful of what's arising and don't cling. And so when you see the aversion, you know, or the resistance, then that becomes the object of the mindfulness. So you just, it's almost as if the mind is saying, aversion feels like this. So you bring a little bit of investigation to, to the uh, experience of aversion, because that's what's arising in the moment. But as you're doing that with mindfulness and investigation, there's no, in those moments, you know, and even using the noting as a supporting tool, you know, aversion, aversion version feels like this. In all of those moments, uh, there is no identification with the aversion. You're not, you're not strengthening the sense of self, I'm feeling really angry. Right? Because you're taking it as an object of mindfulness, you're taking that mind state. 
as an object of awareness. Um, so basically, it's just with anything that's arising, whether it's the initial uh, object of contact with something or the reaction in the mind to that. You know, so there's pain and you feel the pain and then there's aversion to the pain. So you, then you become mindful of the aversion. Uh, so it's really the same practice and it's just staying present with what's arising in the mind and body in the, in the unfolding sequence. Uh, a way of doing this or reminding yourself to do this, uh, it can be really helpful to develop what I call the inner Dharma coach. You know, we're, we're actually coaching ourselves. Uh, so for example, with fear and you know, I mentioned that I worked with that a lot earlier in my practice. Uh, I would coach myself when it came up and really strong. Okay, it's okay. Just be with it. Relax into it. Can I feel it? It's okay. You know, so it's just the reminder of the right attitude that we can bring to it. And so you can find you know, your inner coach for whatever particular experiences you find difficult, you know, problematic, and kind of bring up the coach of how to be with it. Um, yeah. Are there any women who would like to ask questions? <laughs> now here, Devin. Oh, sorry. Here first and then. Uh, a lot of times in my practice, I'm aware that my mind is too loose. Too loose. Uh-huh. Yeah, that I'm aware I'm also thinking at the same time. How do I work with that mind state? Well, that, that's really what I've been talking about in terms of recognizing that is this quality of more or less mindful. Yeah. So then just directing, seeing that, which is good, you know, you've become mindful, oh, it's like this now, you know, you recognize it. And then seeing that the more fully you can experience uh, the body on the sensation level, that helps to really uh, settle the mind in a deeper way. So for example, in the walking as I described, dropping into the sensations of the movement. In the sitting it could be, if you're working either with the whole body or the breathing, it's easy to be with the breath on different levels. In other words, it can be that more or less mindful level of, yeah, we know we're breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and it's a little bit mechanical, even though there's some, some connection there. But that's very different than dropping into the breath and still, and this is, this is the art of the practice, still letting it be natural. There's often a tendency as we drop in to feel it more closely sometimes uh, we get involved in some manipulation of the breath. So just to be watchful of that, and if that happens, just to notice it, and reminding oneself, okay, just sit with the whole body, let the breath find its own natural rhythm, and then, okay, what are the actual sensations that are being felt? Whether it's in the rising, falling, or the in and out, you know, the vibration, the softness, maybe with the breath, coolness or warmth as it comes in and leaves. Uh, so it's that dropping into the sensation level which can help uh, 
yeah, con- consolidate the mindfulness in the experience. morning. I wonder if you could say a few words about um, the Satipatthana Sutta as it relates to ardency and um, the instructions around ardency. I'm wondering if it comes in with with wise effort or if it comes in with attitude of mind. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, maybe the Buddha's definition versus like the Hollywood version, which I, I think I'm sort of mushing things a little bit. Well, they may, they may not be so different. You know, different in the expression of them, but as, the, as a kind of mind-heart quality, I just see it as... Uh, a wise passion for the Dharma. You know, so it's that enlivening qualities, you know, so that we're not just in this more or less mindful state or kind of going through the motions or somewhat mechanical, as the mind can drop to that. You know, it gets caught in that level very often. But ardency, and it's really related to what Kamala talked about, some vega, you know, that sense of spiritual urgency or just the recognition of the depth and the profundity of Dharma practice. Uh, as being a path to, to really transformation of our consciousness. You know, it's, it's a path to liberation, so it's not a superficial undertaking. And so sometimes it's just that contemplation or you know, the reflection upon uh, the scope and the depth and the vastness of Dharma practice. Uh, over the years, over these many years of practice, and you know, going through all the ups and downs that you go through in your own practice. Uh, but what's sustained uh, my practice over all these years is just, just this interest in the nature of the mind, the nature of consciousness, the nature of our lives, of how suffering is created, how we are creating suffering for ourselves and how we can be free. And so all of that creates that feeling of ardency or aliveness or passion or um, was there another part to the question things tend to push each other out yeah it's both it's both you know it's the quality of the effort is very often conditioned by the attitude of mind you know and so when we arouse this ardency or some vega then that will that will uh, be a support for finding the right balance of right effort, you know. And so when we find that we're too loose, uh, then then it inspires us to okay, let me let me see if I can adjust this. Um, there, there's a dharma equivalent, kind of a yeah, a dharma equivalent to uh, the blue dot of Carl Sagan. You know, it's like, just from the astronomical point of view, 
just the mystery of this universe. You know, thinking of the Voyager spacecraft, I don't know, forget, 11 billion miles away, sending pictures back of the Earth. And it just expands, you know, our kind of sense of wonder and awe. Well, we can also contemplate the vastness of the Dharma, you know, and the, the mystery of consciousness and awareness. And it creates that same sense of just awe at this whole process, you know, and the blessing of finding some methodology for exploring it. And really, that's mindfulness is that methodology. You know, this is the way of exploring every aspect of our mind and heart and body and experience. So sometimes just reflecting on that, you know, I find tremendously uh, inspiring. (laughs) Okay. This is just short. Um, So I notice when my mind goes into the sort of mindfulness and it's often when I'm in a more spacious meditation and there's restlessness and many thoughts. Um, something I struggle with is that the breath for me is not a an, a non-charged object and um, I'm a singer and so I have a very instinctive physical response to the breath which is to control it. So I don't know how to find kind of the natural flow of the breath if I pay attention to it. But when I try to bring my attention to something more specific, as you were discussing, I'm not sure where to go if it's not the breath. Uh, So a couple of things. Um, One is it is possible to become mindful of the controlled breath. So it's like you're attending to the breath and then you see that you're controlling it you know, in some way. And so one thing just to experiment and explore is what happens when you simply become mindful that that's what's happening, rather than becoming aware of it and immediately going to the thought, oh, it shouldn't be controlled. Uh, And it would be interesting to know, and just for you to see, if by just accepting the breath as it's manifesting in this controlled way, whether simply by being, oh, it's like this now, it's like this now, it's like this now, whether with that attitude about it, it actually does find its natural rhythm. So that would just be interesting to see, and it may, and it may not. Um, can also just go to the whole body. You know, and that, that's why I like that frame, there is a body. Um, because then, because the mind is not zeroing in on the breath, but actually giving it a bigger frame, you're still breathing, hopefully. Uh, But because you're not zeroing in, there's a greater opportunity for it just to be in its natural rhythm, because you're not attending to it in that narrowly focused way, but you're still aware of it within the context of the bigger frame, and the mind is grounded in the bigger frame. And this is just one of the things happening within it. You know, and so in that way, I don't know how radios work, but this, 
But you know, you can be going through the, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, does one still dial on radios? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but going back to whenever you did dial. <laughs> you know, you dial and static, 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 and then it, it's receiving the signal in, in a clear way. So it's that sense of receiving rather than going to. You know, so if you're in the larger context, there is a body, and that's what you're grounded in. You know, that's, that's kind of the anchor. But within that, then it's just receiving the input of the body breathing. But it's not going out to it. It's being back and you just, that's the element that's arising within the bigger context that there's an attuning to. Do you follow? And, and so in that way, there's, it mitigates the tendency to control it because you, you're grounded in a bigger frame. Okay, all the way in the back. I well, you might wait for the bike, uh, the mic. Um, I find it, if not always easy, straightforward to be equanimous with uh, negative sensations. Um, but with pleasurable sensations, it's more difficult. Um, my inclination is to lean in them and enjoy them. You're, you're uh, not she, alone. <laughs> not, I don't feel like I'm holding on to them or trying to prolong them, but, but there is, a, there is a, a... I feel like if I try to be equanimous during a, an intensely pleasurable sensation, it loses its pleasurable quality in the same way that if I'm... You know, I can sit with knee pain until it ceases to be painful, but I don't want to do that with pleasurable sensations, or at least, you know, I'm a little confused about what the right... Well, that sounds like there's a little clinging in there. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing... You know, we experience pleasant sensations, and part of that might be the enjoyment, or just the experience of the pleasure, of the pleasantness. And so uh, the equanimity doesn't improve that you no longer experience the pleasantness of a pleasant feeling. You know, the pleasant feeling is what's arising and it has the characteristic of being pleasurable. So one can be mindful of that and be fully experiencing of it, but it's that last point that you mentioned to see, can you sit back and just be in the full experience of it for as long as it lasts but without that added impulse not to let go of it or wanting it to continue. That's where the equanimity is. It's just the spaciousness of mind. We're fully with whatever's arising, whether it's unpleasant or pleasant. But there's no... We're practicing not adding to the fullness of that experience the pushing away of its unpleasant or the wanting it to continue if it's pleasant. You know, and yeah. So I would just be open to the experience of the pleasurable nature of it, but watch for the grabbing onto it or, or wanting it to continue. And if that's there, then that becomes the, 
the next object of oh clinging wanting thanks okay i think we need to stop <laughs> uh maybe there'll be some other chance to have some more questions uh, just a couple of announcements um so the schedule for most of the day is just the same uh at the affinity groups today uh one one of the teachers or more will be coming to the groups this is a kind of closure uh for them uh the schedule changes at four o'clock, which is the usual meta time uh but this afternoon there's going to be kind of course closing announcements and logistics and um Kamala's going to give a little talk in the beginning of it uh, so please come to the four o'clock sitting uh and then after that uh talking will be allowed in the outside tables and past the gate down below so it can be helpful just as a way of beginning to bring the energy level in sync with what you'll find when you leave here tomorrow uh it's just a way of beginning to uh, integrate on that level uh, so it can be helpful uh, you know if you want to to engage in just a little social interaction and talking uh but do it down there because for those of you some of you may want to stay in the silence and that's fine and so the area around the the hall and up, up here will still be in silence uh and then silence resumes at the 6:45 sitting and we'll stay silent through this evening uh until tomorrow morning breakfast is that clear uh yeah no this time f- uh, when does the next sitting start Okay, speed walking. <laughs> no, so why don't you give me the schedule for me? Okay, so we'll change the schedule for this morning and this is a test of your mental capacities. So it's 10:05. Whoever rings the bell, why don't you ring the bell at 10:45? And then you can sit in 45 and then sit till 11:30 got it and 11:30 to 12 walking i'll post this <laughs> and then a walking and then just sit and walk <laughs> challenging my mental capacities <laughs> uh we'll post something but For now this walk and who's ever ringing the bell ring at a 10:45 and we'll figure it out. Okay. And remember just to see if you can keep in mind that little investigation of past and future and how they're just thoughts in the moment because if you really see that clearly it's liberating. You know it, it has a tremendous effect.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.